When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hi, folks. Be sure to visit my website at dr-history.com for a short personal video message to listen to the latest stories and to leave a comment. All right, right now, ladies and gentlemen, it is time for absolutely one of my very favorite segments that has grown in popularity literally all over the world, Dr. History. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? I'm good. Let's stop all the formality. (laughs) Okay. So I just got to say, number one, uh, hello to Steve over in Hillsboro, Oregon. Do you know where that is, Ed? I do. Been there. Okay. Many times. Yeah. So Steve likes listening to the show. And so, Steve, thank you for writing to me. What does Steve do for a living? I don't know. Maybe if we go broke, we can go to work. We can go see where he's at. (laughs) So anyway, thank you, Steve. And uh, i got to say, Zeb, uh, this past week I was down in St. George with uh, some of my family. And uh, anybody that heads down that way, there's a canyon called Snow Canyon. Yes. And if you'll go head up that, it's a state park. Mm Mm-hmm. But uh, there are several hikes that you can go on, and one of which has some pioneer names written in axle grease on one of the, the walls of the canyon. Really? Yeah. And so we enjoyed that. And anyway, so if you head that way, folks, uh, take in Snow Canyon. Now, that area has just blown up oh, with yeah. people, hasn't Lots it? and lots of people. Wow. Yeah. Pretty busy. I did that rodeo for over 30 years. Really? Yeah. yeah. Well, St. George Dixie Roundup. Yeah. You can't believe how much the, the growth is there. But anyway. What are we going to talk about we're today? We're going to talk about General George A. Custer and the Black Hills Expedition. Well, now, wait a minute. Uh, we're not talking about the massacre. No. We're talking about his expedition into, into the, the Black, Black Hills. Hills. Right. Huh. So this is before. All right. So... A little background, George Armstrong Custer may have done more than any other individual to actually begin the Black Hills Gold Rush. Okay, uh, His one trip there was in the line of duty, but you know Custer and the U.S. US Army were not really a good fit, but uh, when his brand of fighting worked on the battlefield, it led to his reputation as the boy general of the Civil War. He wasn't very well liked. Was he? Well, we'll talk about that. Ah. <laughs> Just a little bit. Okay. Uh, you know, he had barely made it out of West Point, graduating at the very bottom of his class in 1861, hmm. almost losing his chance at a career uh, with, of course, brought social status because he couldn't obey the rules. I see. And he tormented his classmates with practical jokes. So I guess you could say he didn't take his education very seriously. I see. At West Point. 
But he was lucky there was a war going on, and the Army needed all of the trained officers or semi-trained, in Custer's case, who were available. Now, th- he graduated in 1861? 1861. Was he a part of the Civil War? Oh, yeah. That's what yeah. I thought. Uh-huh. Yeah. So throughout his 15-year career, Custer had those who didn't like him and those that did like him among every rank right up to the top brass. Okay. General Philip H. Sheridan, commander of the Division of the Missouri, which was one-third of the Army, it covered the entire frontier region, he was a friend of Custer. He liked him. Really? Now, General William Tecumseh Sherman, commander of the entire thing, was just as much anti-Custer. He didn't like him at all. So you had two of the top brass. What were the reasons that they didn't like him? Just brass? I don't know. I don't know. I see. uh, For whatever their uh, association with him, some liked him and some didn't. I see. So after the Civil War, the Army was downsizing, so officers of the middle ranks were facing fewer promotions over their careers and struggling for command positions. Now, Custer's knack for getting... uh, Personal publicity and standing out in this dwindling crowd led to some kind of bad feelings from others. Really? Because okay? he, he promoted himself, I guess you could say. So uh, He was kind of flamboyant. Uh, yeah, you could say that. Yeah. And so on his expeditions, he included journalists uh, because they wrote great glowing accounts in the newspapers across the nation. So he And he frequently wore... Of course, the picture, his blonde hair long, and he replaced his uniform with the frontier-style buckskins. Is that really true? I had heard uh, different reports on that. You know, that's one of those things we're going to guess. I see. Okay. Uh, But he had a big, wide-brimmed hat, you know, so he didn't wear the typical cavalry uniform, so to speak. So, adding to the legend, he also had a 16-piece regimental band that came along with him. What? Played the 7th Cavalry's lively uh, theme song, the Gary Owen. He's the only one that had Lawrence Welk on a horse? <laughs> Gary Owen. They, <laughs> they played Gary Owen when he arrived and when he departed. You're kidding me. No. He had his own band. You I know, didn't his know His own that. drill team, How so did he get speak. away with that? Uh, he, was, he was the general. The colonel, whatever. I'll be darned. So anyway, when the 7th Cavalry was formed at Fort Riley, Kansas in 1866, Sheridan got his command for Colonel Custer. Now, Colonel was his real rank, even though he had been made a general during the Civil War. Now, that was a temporary battlefield rank given as either an honor or a quick promotion after other officers were killed. So in, other, in Custer's case, it was because of officers being killed. So it was a reward for his military success, and it surely further convinced Sheridan that Custer's way of doing things worked well. So he stayed a general? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that's what yeah, we'll refer to him as. Okay. So to his credit, though, you know, he was flamboyant, but he was always at the front of his men, and he shared the hardships of the skirmishes, the forced marches, the rough trails, or the weather, with never a complaint. With his band. With his band. <laughs> I would not have wanted to be uh, playing the trumpet. That would have been maybe a little cold. So... But he was especially good at reading unknown land and choosing the best route for the supply wagons coming behind the cavalry. Now, I'm going to show you a picture here, Zeb. 
This is a picture of the Black Hills Expedition. Now, take a oh, look at that. Oh, my. There are one, two, three, four, six columns. Yes, and look at all the wagons. Now, when you think of my, a cavalry heading out, I had out, no idea. You don't think of wagons so much. Not like that. But look at all those wagons. How many men were on that I expedition? I don't know. Okay. I don't know. Why don't you sit there and count them on uh, the picture? <laughs> well, that's a pretty small picture. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so, anyway, uh, you know, Frontier Life was actually quite boring. Uh, The soldiers drilled and drilled, and they did chores by day, and most of them drank and gambled by night. Uh, A call would come for an Indian skirmish and uh, demanding days of quick, hard riding and fighting, and then it was back to the post to kill some more time. So it was day after day of going out and fighting Indians. Well, well, you know, the looks of what you got there in that picture, it looks like they would have to stay out for days. It does. So they must have had places where they would just circle the wagon, so to speak, and camp. Really? Uh, but, uh, you know, if they were at a fort, they just, you know, stay at the fort and then go out for these occasional skirmishes. Oh, be darned. So, anyway, so this is something that didn't sit too well. Uh, Custer kind of favored his officers. Uh, the young ones, and he went on to invent social occasions like hunting parties, musicals, theatricals, masquerade parties, and the enlisted men kind of resisted, re- resented this. They didn't like uh, what, what they referred to his inner circle as the royal family. So the officers were treated quite a bit better. Now, Custer was married, wasn't he? Yes. Yep. And did she yes. go with him? Uh-huh. Yep. But on the post and in the field, Custer uh, surrounded himself with his relatives, including brother Captain Tom Custer and his brother-in-law, Lieutenant uh, James Calhoun. Oh, my. And as, as you just said, Custer's wife and his sister, and uh, his sister, Margaret Calhoun, lived with their husbands on the post. And that was acceptable, although not really standard at the time. But it was acceptable. Huh. Okay. Now, unusual for the place and time, drinking was not part of Custer's life. Now, Tom, his brother, was known to go on sprees. In fact, Wild Bill Hickok arrested Tom in Hayes, Kansas, on December 31st, 1869, when he shot up the streets before riding his horse into a saloon. Well, his, his leg was sore. <laughs> I guess. But George did not drink. I see. So, now Elizabeth, his wife, Custer... And her husband, George. uh, She probably boozed it up, didn't she? (laughs) Well, what else do you do out there? But they called each other Libby and Audie and acted like the Frontier Army experience was their perpetual honeymoon. They had no children, but they owned a pack of large hunting dogs. So she was right there. Evidently, she enjoyed being out there doing what she did. When you say out there, what area are you talking about? I'm going to guess different expeditions. I but see. In, in this particular one, it was the Black Hills expedition. Now, in 1873, the U.S. government had begun to try, uh, trying to purchase the Black Hills from the Sioux Nation and to move the Sioux people onto a five-year-old reservation that covered roughly the western half of today's South Dakota, extending into Nebraska and North Dakota. But, as usual, the white men wanted the Black Hills. They wanted it open for mining. And now that the Northern Pacific Railroad was building west from Bismarck into Sioux Lands, aiming for the Yellowstone River in eastern Montana, General Sheridan didn't want the Sioux to have the hills as a safe place from which they could ride out and raid settlements and the railroads. Mm -hmm. So the Army put together an expedition, um, 
to check this out, the Black Hills region in 1874. So placing Custer at his head, he had already skirmished with the Sioux, including legendary warrior Crazy Horse. Did, did all this precipitate the massacre? Yes. Ah. So when the 7th Cavalry had guarded railroad survey crews on the Yellowstone River, uh, but because Custer had won his few small Indian fights, his take on fighting the Sioux and their northern Cheyenne allies uh, was that there would be nothing to it. So he didn't realize that they were on the, the hotline to call others. Right. Yeah. So from the beginning of July to the end of August, 1874, Custer led the Black Hills expedition. Here we go. You asked how many. Yeah. A thousand soldiers and a hundred Arikara scouts. President Ulysses S. Grant's son, Fred, a colonel uh, on Sheridan's staff, went along. And, as usual, reporters and the band, of course. Oh, Got to have the band. Got to have the band. Yeah. And geologists. So even though the official purpose was to scout a site for a fort to help control the Sioux, um, you know, they, they had quite a few experts on here. The geologists. You know? Yeah. So Custer... They were checking out all the gold availability, right? Well, I think that's what they had in mind. Yeah. You know. So Custer treated this trip as a great summer outing. He was shooting grizzly bears, and uh, he climbed a place called Harney Peak. Uh, the highest mountain. Uh, the troop played baseball and toasted winners with champagne parties. Really? <laughs> Doesn't sound too tough. No. But late in July, Panning produced a little bit of gold. And Custer sent a scout, a guy named Charlie Reynolds, out with a dispatch, announcing that he had found gold and without working hard at all to get it. So Reynolds traveled by night out of Sioux Country to Fort Laramie to telegraph the report. Well... You know how these things happen. I mean, you don't keep a secret. So news of easy gold pickings drew crowds of prospectors. The time couldn't have been better for starting a gold rush. There was a depression going on. Thousands of men out of work. So news of any job opportunities was was taken with, uh, you know, a great deal of happiness. What area primarily was this gold found in? Well, uh, mo- mostly the Dakotas. I see. Um, yeah, North and South Dakota, mostly in that area. I there. see. But the word was out, and the gold rush was on and in the Black Hills. So less than two years later, the Sioux and Northern Cheyenne, as you just mentioned, would take their revenge and wipe out five of the 7th Cavalry's 12 companies Ooh. at that remote waterway in southwestern Mon- southeastern Montana, the Little Bighorn, right. and, of course, George and Tom Custer, were killed by Calhoun. Uh, now, Calhoun was... His brother-in-law. See, I, in history, they very seldom ever mention, if at all, Custer's brother. Right, Tom. Yeah. 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 But if you go there, uh, supposedly he's buried right there where Custer was buried. Is and that found, right? Found with Custer. I yeah. see. But I want to ta- tell you a little bit about the Black Hills Gold Rush. And like I say, it began in 1874, reached this peak in 76, 77. Uh, rumors and reports of gold in the Black Hills go clear back to the early 19th century. In the 1860s, Roman Catholic missionary Father Dismetus reported to have seen Sioux Indians carrying gold, which they told him came from the Black Hills prior to the gold rush. Uh, Did they know the value? No, I don't think so. You know, uh, it was just, you know, uh, a pretty rock, I guess. Yeah. But the Black Hills were used primarily by bands of Sioux. The United States government recognized the Black Hills as belonging to the Sioux by the Treaty of Laramie in 1868. 
But despite being within Native American territory and supposedly off limits, the white Americans were heading in there, heading into the for the gold mining possibilities of the Black Hills. Now, the miners that went in there and the prospectors, were they automatically besieged by the Indians, the Sioux, or were they left alone? That's a good question. I'm, I'm thinking typical is some were uh, attacked by Indians, others were left alone. Uh, can't say that there was really a particular Indian massacre against the, the prospectors I that I know of. But the prox- prospectors found gold in 1874 near present-day Custer, South Dakota. Mm-hmm. But it actually turned out to be kind of a small uh, claim there. But the larger placer gold deposits of Deadwood Gulch were discovered in November 1875 and 76. And thousands of gold seekers flocked to the new town of Deadwood. And it was still within Indian land. That's what I was wondering. Did the Indians, and they did, I think, have a claim to the wealth that was being taken? I don't know that they knew what the miners were were doing, really. I mean, uh, or the value of the gold they were taking. I see. But obviously it was worth lots and lots of money during the gold rush these coaches that carried the treasure transported large quantities of gold up to three hundred thousand dollars worth on each goal on each haul that they took to cheyenne wyoming what would that be like today oh at least eight or ten times that oh right? yeah yeah but they became a favorite target for outlaws uh the last recorded holdup occurred around 3 p.m uh september of 1878 at the Canyon Spring Station, about 35 miles south of Deadwood, the robbers bound and gagged the stablemen and lined the stable wall with their guns through cracks between the logs. As the coach approached the station, the outlaws opened fire. One guard was killed. Two guards were wounded. The chief guard took cover behind a big pine tree, exchanged a few shots with the bandits, and then got them to agree to let him go if he would leave the coach with him. With them, obviously. Yeah. Uh, but he left. The outlaws tied the driver to one of the coach's wheels. They opened the safe with a sledgehammer and chisels. They divided the loot and rode off in different directions. Well, the citizens in the area organized manhunts, and the stage company offered a $2,500 reward, and several suspects were lynched. Others were convicted at trial on various counts, and more than half of the gold was eventually recovered. Did they ever let that guy go that was tied to the wheel? <laughs> you know, he could Kind of still... hard to drive back into town with him. Ka-thump, ka-thump, <laughs> flop, ka-thump, flop, ka-thump. flop, you know. I'm hoping he's not still there. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> but anyway, so that's... So really, Custer really kind of helped start the Black Hills Gold Rush by his this expedition. Which may not have been a good thing. N- right. Um And, you know, Custer, uh, really, they weren't after gold, but he did have these geologists with him, and so they must have thought, well, if there's gold there, we'll find some. I'm still obsessed with him having his own portable band. (laughs) You know, they didn't have radios or stereos. you got to have something for music, Zeb. You know, now that I think about it, wasn't it the movie uh, John Wayne... um Rio Grande, that uh, he played the uh, captain, and didn't they have a band down there in the Arizona Territory you know, in that I movie? I, I think do, they I did. Remember that they had singers. I know that. Oh yeah, they had members of the Sons of Pioneers. I, <laughs> they did. Yeah, I, I know. Yeah. I, I believe you. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, hey, a band, you know, twenty five 
you know, people in the band, you could have a pretty good, uh, pretty good dance. How pretty did good they transport those instruments in the wagons? Well, or well, you saw that picture of all those wagons. Yeah, I mean, it really surprised me when I saw that picture of all those wagons. I mean, look at that. I got hold. Pass that over to me, audience. We're doing this live, so I got to take a look at. I this mean, picture. look. Take a look at that. That I mean, is absolutely what, amazing. Four or five columns with at least what fifty or sixty. Wagons well, it goes one. on in length. It looks like it could be like some of these columns look like they could be at least two hundred to three hundred yards long. And you can't even see the end of no, the, you can't. the, the no. end of the wagon no. lines. And I'm assuming that one of the front people in this picture possibly was Custer himself. I'm going to guess probably. Yeah. And Tom and yeah. his brother-in-law. Yeah. Oh my, that's and quite. 1874 wife. image. Yeah. Abby. So I'm sure his wife and, and uh, sister-in-law were riding in a nice wagon back there somewhere. And then it wasn't long after that, all heck broke loose. It did. Yeah. And she became a widow. And Custer, <laughs> I'd say she did. Yes. But uh, Custer met his demise because of his arrogancy and his flamboyancy. Well, well his lack of uh, of knowing how, how well-prepared the, the Indians were. How yeah. many? And... Uh, but that was common among some of the uh, cavalrymen that they thought, oh, we can we can take care of 500 Indians with our 50 cavalrymen. Can and you so, imagine riding over, put yourself in his position, riding over a little knoll, and then looking from left to right, right to left, and then going, wow. oops. <laughs> <laughs> well, you and I have been there, and you can just imagine all those teepees, uh, they're uh, camp beside the little yeah. bighorn. It's an eerie, eerie feeling. It is. It really is. You know, you outdid yourself. I found that. Oh, we got a quick call, real fast. Thirty seconds. That's all I've got. Caller, good morning. You're on the air. That's all I need. Wasn't Custer supposed to have Gatling guns with him? Yes, the but time? they. I'll listen off the air. Thanks. Okay, buddy. Thanks. Yes, but they were way back behind and didn't come up in time to help out. Yeah, he kind of just went ahead on his own. Right. Yeah. 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 He was, like I said, very arrogant and self-centered. Yeah. Figured you could take him on. Appreciate that. Not to say that you are, Dr. History, but (laughs) anyway, God bless you for an excellent program. Thank you, Zed.